how can we get so many different translations of the same text? Why does one Bible say one thing and another Bible say something almost completely different? How is it that throughout the years we have picked up so many different lenses to view God through that it almost feels like we've lost who he really is? This week, Elaine and I are talking about some of those things, those distortions, those ways we view God that we're trying to remove. Elaine shares about her new experience trying to read through the Bible without all the distortions and what she's learned just even in the first few chapters. There is so much that we take verbatim because of what we've been taught, and we use that knowledge as confirmation bias to keep from having to learn new things, because learning is scary. But today, we're going to unpack that, and we're going to take a moment to realize that learning it doesn't have to be a terrifying thing, but can be an enlightening thing. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the answers. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to the Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 74. So, today, what are we talking about, Cody? Uh, don't we ask me, you're <laughs> the one that came up with this episode idea. So, today we are actually just kind of catching up, just having a conversation with you guys about just what's on our hearts and what we've been kind of mulling over this past week. I we I feel like we haven't done an episode like this in a very long time of, of just kind of having a conversation about just what's going on in our life, what we're thinking about, what we're praying about, what we're reading. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of wanted to update you guys on what life is like right now. Yes. But before we get into that, I have a few quick things I want to share with everyone Number one, if you are not part of our mailing list, our email list, I would highly encourage you to head over to therecklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe. Got it out without stumbling. Yay. And uh, go click add your email to that because when you do that, uh, every time we have a guest, we do something called the final five and you get access to all of that extra content that is only available to our email list. You also get uh, weekly emails. Elaine and I send out weekly stuff just to kind of have private conversations with you guys via email now. So it's not just auto-generated stuff anymore. Um, you get like first notice on all the new updates we have mm -hmm. going on. And the big thing with that is we are working toward, and this is something coming in the not too distant future, uh, Nomads Academy, which is going to be a place to have all kinds of uh, just not really quizzes as much as it is just like resources and curriculum and classes and all of those videos, those final fives will be held there too. Private interviews, all that kind of stuff will be held there. And if you are on our email list, you get a private invite to join in on that. And you get invited to the group. So if you're not in the group anyway, you should be there as well. That's Nomads. And you can find that in the show notes below, a link to that. But if you join the email list, you'll be invited as well. And the other thing, I just want to give myself a quick 
plug here because my new show itinerant biblical history beyond the bible is out it is everywhere podcasts are and i'll link up to that in the show notes below as well but i'm super excited i'm happy that it's finally out into the uh the podcast realm i just want to say i'm very proud of you cody you you are just very creative and this podcast well with any podcast, it's a lot of hard work, but specifically your podcast, doing all the research for biblical history. You've been working on this for the past two or three months, yeah, just gathering information for just the three episodes that you have out currently. Yeah, And I just want to applaud you for that and just congratulate you for you. having your podcast out and just getting that into the ears of people who want to dig deeper. Yes, and so if you are someone who enjoys history, you like biblical history, maybe you want to hear about some of these people, places, events uh, that you've heard about in biblical history, but from maybe outside the perspective of just the Bible or just church history, then this is for you. It's itinerant. Like I said, you can find it in the show notes below. I'm very proud of it. It's very story-based, kind of has um, an eerie kind of almost mystical vibe to it. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's in, I hope it's engaging. To me, it's engaging, and it's a little more emotional and very very planned, very structured, very, um, all that. Like, and you can also read if you're not like much on listening, uh, all of the transcripts are available for that as well on, uh, itinerantpodcast.com. So we'll link up to that, but all of that out of the way, Elaine, let's just, uh, take this conversation away. This is your topic, even though it's not really a topic. So we're just <laughs> going to go It's a bunch of it. different topics. So for me, The biggest thing that I've kind of come to a conclusion about this week is that I have no idea what the Bible says. Okay, so that sounds super crazy. You're like, okay, you're a host of the Reckless Pursuit where you talk about the Bible, you talk about different topics and religion and faith and God. Yes, I know. (laughs) I'm just being vulnerable with you guys. Like, so I, for my story, I haven't really been, like, I didn't grow up in church up until I was about 14. I was in the eighth grade whenever I went to my first, not my first church service, but my first youth group service. My parents were kind of the people who went on Easter and special occasions, but we didn't really have a home church up until I was in eighth grade transitioning into high school. And so with that, I've talked about this a lot on the show. I was super involved with my youth group, super involved with leading worship, super involved with leading small groups during the week and all of that fun stuff. And my youth pastor, Mark Cox, who is actually on our show a long time ago when we first started, he actually was one of the people in my life that said, hey, ask questions, seek the Bible out for yourself, seek it out in discernment and prayer and read the Bible, not at face value, but really dig deeper, ask God to show you what the scripture means. Don't just take scripture from a pastor or even himself, you know, at face value, really dig deep. And, you know, I had parents who told me to question everything. I I had people in my life telling me to question everything. With that being said, I feel like I didn't do a good job. I feel like because I had permission, I felt like maybe I was safe and didn't have to. I, I don't know. And so I've read the Bible. I've led small group lessons about specific topics and specific scriptures. I have my favorite scriptures. But Cody and I have been kind of on and off doing a Bible study, just us two. Right now, I think we started like in the New Testament 
several months we ago, last year. We started and went yeah. all the way through. We, we got to go back to the Gospels. Yeah. But. Um, now we have Revelation. We haven't started that yet. And so I felt like as a Christian, I know the general consensus of the Bible. I know the Genesis story of creation. I know throughout the different people. I know the Gospels, all of that stuff. I know Revelation has been taught as a scary subject, all that stuff. But after our Bible study the other day, you know, so Cody and I do live videos every once in a while. We're not as consistent as it now on it now, but we do Facebook live videos where we read part of the New Testament. I was reading out of New Life or New Living Translation. New Living Translation. Yeah. And then you have the easy ES, I not easy. I have the English standard yeah. ESV. Yeah. And so we have a different translation. So we knew that our Bibles were going to interpret things a little differently whenever we read and which is kind of annoying but kind of cool because you for me at least it's hard to keep up with what Cody's reading, but at the same time it gives him the new translations and the different perspectives of the Bible. But after, I think it was Monday, Sunday of last week or something, um, we had our Bible study. Mm -hmm. And we were reading in what, third John, John three or? Yeah, Peter it was first, yeah, second, okay. third John and Jude. We read all of them because yeah. they're all like a few paragraphs each. So we were reading it and there's a couple different translations. We were like, oh, this kind of doesn't read well. And it was from my Bible. And yeah, I was you're, like- You're real quick to kind of interject. Your Bible was- or if, if you don't know much about Bible translations, ESV is much more um, word for word. And uh, in LT, the New Living Translation is more thought for thought, which basically means her Bible is more interpretive structure and poetic versus mine is to try to be a little bit more literal. Just one's supposed to be a little bit easier to read and a little more common terms. Mine basically tells you what to think as the person who wrote that translation. Right. And yours is more of this is what this says, interpret yourself kind of thing. Yeah, yeah kind of. For the most, yeah, for yeah. the most part. So we were reading it, and there was, a, there was a specific verse. I don't remember what chapter or book it was, but there's a specific verse where it had talked about loving people. And it said, mine said, love your Christian brothers and sisters. Yours just said, love your brothers and sisters. So we were going to have a conversation of, well, what does that mean? Are we supposed to only love Christians? Or are we supposed to love everyone? Well, of course we believe we're supposed to love everyone, not just Christians, but why did my translation say Christian? And so whoever wrote that translation interpreted it as, hey, love Christians, whatever. So that didn't really sit well with me. You know, and throughout our Bible studies, we're kind of like, oh, well, your translation says this really well, or my translation says this very well, mm -hmm. says really well. But that specific verse, that did not sit well with me. And I'm not trying to nitpick the Bible. I'm not trying to nitpick the person who wrote that translation. You know, we've talked about the Bible is, in, in, is inspired. You know, people have, based on your experiences, your personality type, what you've gone through in life and how you've been taught, you're going to read the Bible differently than I read it. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing, whatever. But that specific verse did not sit well with me. And I was like, well, this Bible I got at the beginning of college, I didn't know anything about the different translations. I just knew that I wanted something that was different from the typical NIV Bible that I that every Christian girl seemed to have in high school. And so I kind of bought this book by myself. But then I was like, you know, I kind of want a new Bible. I want to read the Bible as if I've never read the Bible before. I want to approach God as if I've never approached God before, if I don't know anything about him it's okay that I have the background. Like I am a Christian. I, I I do have a devout relationship with God, but I can set that aside and read the Bible as if I don't know anything about him to kind of understand who God is to me, not who God what was to me back in high school or middle school or college or whatever. And so 
we went out and I bought a new translation. It's like the Christian, it's CS. C- I don't know, CSRV, something like that. C- it's a new translation. Yeah. It's on the market. Yeah. So. And so it's only been on the market for the past couple of years, but it's more word for word. It's very literal. Yeah, it's very literal. Literal. It's more geared towards the middle, I guess, between, um, but it's not exactly in the middle. I, I We were actually looking at the different trans translations of the Bible, the most popular ones, which I did not know there was an interlinear Bible. And if you look at, look that up, holy crap, like that is very stressful, very cool because it has like the Greek and the Hebrew interpretations, very blocky. And it tells you like mm-hmm. exactly what that word meant in those languages. And then it kind of what puts it together as if you're reading right. it now. Yeah, it structures it so you can understand how mm-hmm. we got to where we're at. Um, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Okay. So backtracking a little bit to where you said we were going through both translations and one said love your brothers one said love your christian brothers right Uh, i just want to clarify we actually did go i have a if you don't have a strong's concordance basically like where you can go and look up the the actual meaning and usage of a word there's an app you can get it's like free honestly on your phone and it's super easy I got it. Yeah, like it's I downloaded it. it's super easy to use and much easier than trying to like buy a strong concordance. But what, however you have it, we went and looked it up. And loving your brother is more accurate. It's actually meaning the terminology behind the word is encompassing humanity. It means love humans, love like-minded or not like-minded, but like love like people. So it's you're literally to love people. Uh, and it doesn't say anything about Christianity. It's not used in that context. I'm not sure how that translation, that seems like a really big, uh, took a really big stance on something there that's not, not even there. I don't know how they got to that point, but whatever, however they decided, like that's very different. And I want to share a little bit about um, my experience with your shopping for different translations, but I'll let you go ahead and finish. But I just wanted to go ahead and interject there that the loving your brother was the accurate one, not loving your quote-unquote christian brother and so we were looking at the graph i actually had a graph from high school that my old sunday school teacher had which i'll post it as the picture for this episode and so i had a graph from high school i went and found and it had where the different translations interpretations kind of fall between the word for word or the thought for thought and so originally i was like oh the interlinear like i'm gonna get that bible and then i opened it and i was like okay this would be a great study bible but for me, I could not. That's stressful um, as my everyday Bible. So the next one was like NASB or something. And so I was like, okay, well, this is like next to interlinear. This is the most word for word Bible you can get like on the market. I'm going to get this. And then we were looking at the chart of the different translations and how they speak to different people or like the goal of that specific translation. So I looked at the NASB and I was like, oh, it was specifically for evangel like conservative evangelicalism. Yeah. That it literally said this is made for conservative evangelicals. And so I was like, okay, that doesn't make sense. If it's geared towards that, those specific people, why would that not be in the thought for thought? Because of course the language is going to be geared towards evangelizing and stuff like that. And I was like, so how is this in word for word? That didn't click well with me either. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, like why is the Bible so misconstrued? And why is the Bible just so like, why is it geared towards specific people? Why are there different translations? And we've talked about like, people understand and perceive God differently in the Bible and stuff like that. That's fine. But I was just getting so freaking overwhelmed. And so I just like picked one and then looked at it. And I was like, okay, 
and it was on sale. It was like $23 because Bibles are freaking expensive. They're like $60. And one of the struggles, I love a cute Bible. I love a cute journal. All the cute ones were like devotionals. That's not what I was wanting. Yeah, you I didn't want any commentary, no, which is what I did a yeah. couple years ago too, when I got my new Bible. It's like mm-hmm. no commentary, no extra anything. Honestly, if we could find one without chapter headers, that would be even best, mm-hmm. but you know. And so another problem, which is like trivial, but another problem was like, well, they don't have cute Bibles unless you're doing a devotional. So I had to pick a pink one with like paisley flowers engraved in it or whatever. And so I opened it and I was like, okay, it's big font. It's chapters that has like, you know, the footnotes of like what this word meant in Hebrew or whatever. And then like, um, pretty much it. yeah, go. And then it has like verses where it talks about it at other times of the Bible. But other than that, that's all it had was just scripture. And I was like, okay, I guess I can get over the factor that it's not really that cute, but the Bible, <laughs> you shouldn't read the Bible because it's cute. I understand that. And so I actually really, really enjoy this Bible. And I don't remember exactly what it was like specifically for. I think it was like word for word, but in a modern day, I, I don't it exactly. Was between the two. Yeah. And so that's what I'm kind of discovering right now is just rereading the Bible and the parts of the Bible um, that I never really understood or agreed with or even knew about. Or yeah, there's just so many scriptures that were taught that the way I am reading in this specific translation, I'm like, how did people get to these conclusions? Well, and that's kind of where I want to jump in real quick because I had an interesting, call it revelation, realization, whatever you want to call it, while we were shopping for Bibles. I haven't been shopping for Bibles in a few Mm, years. Uh, In 2017, I bought my current Bible that I read pretty regularly. Like I said, it's ESV, and I bought it specifically because it was simple. It was simple. I could just read through. It didn't have all the devotionals. It didn't have, oh, we think so-and-so wrote this, or we think it didn't have any commentary, any of that crap. It just was straight through. And so I read all the way through. That was like, like read the Bible in a year challenge or whatever. It is. And I did it. It's the first time reading cover to cover in order like mm-hmm. that. And so that was kind of cool just to see it all play out. And I would highly recommend anyone to do that. Don't, I know the study guides and stuff make it easier where it breaks it up and moves stuff around, but just read it straight through yeah. if you're going to do it because you get a really good idea of yeah. And that's some of the flow of history, especially in the Old Testament. Especially and that's what Testament. I'm kind of currently working on. It's not necessarily in a year, but I'm like reading the Bible word for word, literally as it yeah. goes. And I have like a, a system I use for highlighting, like squiggle means questioning, like bolding the highlight versus like thin line, like all that kind of stuff. I have like a whole system for my highlights. And I went through with just one color and did the whole thing. Now we're going back through together on a lot of this, and I'm going through with a different color in the highlighter. But, like, that was the whole thing. It's, like, it's it's completely free of everything. Uh, the reason I got this one is because I kind of did a little bit of research whenever I was looking for my Bible translation. I found that, like, ESV is very—it um, leans more toward—what? I was just going to say, I think it's funny that I'm 23 and doing this, and you were 23 when you started. Yeah, that is— yeah. Funny to me. Yeah. Okay, go You on. and your patterns. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I bought this one specifically. I was doing a little bit of research trying to figure out which one I liked. And uh, this one was kind of more word for word than thought for thought, which is what I wanted. I'm more of a literal person anyway. So I kind of wanted something like that. Found it, liked the way it read, kind of similar to you. This one just what stuck out to me. So I got it. The reason I'm bringing that up, when we were shopping for Bibles for you, and like I said, it's the first time I've shopped for a Bible in three years-ish, right? Uh, first time I've probably been in Mardell that long too you know kind of feel like a fish out of water walking into that store now i look around i'm like wow this is strange i go there for like teaching supplies but that's about it yeah so oh yeah i guess we do go there for your teaching supplies but uh i was 
walking through there looking at all these things, I look at these charts and you had asked me the question because you have like a ton of questions all the time, which is cool. Like that's why we do what we do here, right? And uh, I'm trying to get out of the habit of answering questions because that's always been my position as like a pastor, as a youth pastor, as a worship pastor, even like I answer questions. And, you know, in, in a lot of modern church settings, it's it's frowned upon if you don't have the answers to questions like you're looked down on like, oh, you have to have the answers. You know, it's, it's like, God forbid you just say, I don't know. Let's just pray about that. Or, wow, that kind of contradicts itself. Let's pray about that. You know, questions equal like backsliding or questions or not being able to answer a question means that your faith is weak a lot of times. It's not necessarily like flat out said that, but that's what it's portrayed mm, as. That bothers me. But isn't that true yeah, though? It's like, it is. It is. Like that's kind of what, what we portray yeah. in our faith. So you asked me the question, why, or not even why, you said, how are there so many different translations if it's all based off of the same thing? And that really got me thinking. And I don't know why I've never thought about this before. I've always realized like, oh, it's just like denominations. Everyone reads a little different. But no, these are actually written differently. Like they're similar in some instances, but then in other instances, they're very different, right? Like the verse about the Christian and then loving Christians or loving everyone. Like. Right. Well, and then you even get into like things like the message, which some churches take as doctrine. I do not get it. Like I don't have an issue with the message Bible if you like poetry, but it was written as poetry. And then it was like people liked it so much that the publishing house pretty much asked the guy to just write the whole Bible that way because mm -hmm. it was originally just a couple books. I think it's beautiful, but... I and I think it would be a great study tool if you're a very emotional and creative person, which I am. I love like I think it's beautiful and beautifully written. But at the same time for like just everyday reading, I think you kind of almost lose kind of the importance of some of the scriptures. See, I'm completely backwards, but you're also a 4 yeah. Enneagram, I'm a 5. To me, it's a terrible study tool. Like you should never study the Message Bible because you're putting in a bunch of crap that's not actually what's said, but it's beautiful to use as like an expression. Yeah. So like for me, it's the polar opposite, but that's because I'm a logical like thinker and you're an emotional feeler. So that's interesting. Just <laughs> side note there. So you asked me that question, how are there so many different translations? And I just had this realization, well, because... And this is something I've already known. I'm sorry, I'm making you have like a bit of anticipation here, or like angst to try to figure out what my answer is to this. The, the Hebrew language as a whole, the way the Old Testament especially was written, the people that wrote this, even down to Paul, who was a, a scholar, you know, he was basically a Pharisee, right? Uh, like all of these people are Jewish descent. They're, they are uh, Hebrews, and you look at this and you realize when the Hebrew language is written, when these original books were written, they were written from a place where they were open to interpretation from the person writing them. I think Austin actually mentioned that a little bit in our last episode. Great episode. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but he mentioned how like the Old Testament, whenever it was originally written, there were no vowels. There were no vowels in the Hebrew language because it was open for interpretation and vowels made the difference of things like love and hate, you know. Uh, Just a letter change. Yeah, and so when the person read it, they would insert the vowels they felt that passage was referring to, and then they would all commune and talk. 
And if you ever talk to Jewish scholars, if you ever talk to people who study um, who study that religion, that uh, you know, that descent in general, they will tell you, yeah, like this is how this is how we do things. We don't. Nothing is verbatim. It's not black and white. That's a very Western thing we have adopted with Christianity. Everything's black and white. There isn't like this in between area. But to them, it very much is like it's open. Like, oh, well, how do you get out of? This? What do you get out of this? And it's similar. Like, sure, we can go and read the Bible and we can say, oh yeah, like that's cool to us. Or this stood out to me. But we don't really give the Bible the room it needs. We take everything just this verbatim literalness. That's not how it was written. That's not how Jesus taught. Like, if you want to sit there and say, well, wait, the Bible's supposed to be literal. Well, stop. How did Jesus teach? It was all parabolic. Everything he taught was parable, right? So everything is relating to something else. That's how Jesus taught. And even whenever he tried to explain himself or what he meant, people still didn't get it because of how much depth there was to his message. And so I realized if you take a text that is intended to be read openly, then that means whoever wrote the ESV Bible is going to get one thing out of it. Whoever read the or translated over to the NLT Bible is going to get something else out of it. The uh, New Christian Standard, whatever it was that you were saying, that's like more conservative evangelicalism. If you have a group of conservative evangelicals looking at everything through a lens of conservative evangelicalism, they're going to create a Bible translated from a text to mirror conservative evangelicalism because the Bible is meant to take out of it for each individual person. And then I realized, like, how many filters do we look at everything through? And this kind of comes down to where you were reading recently, and you're good at this. I have a hard time with this. I've grown up in church literally as long as I can remember. I worked in church. I've been molded by church over and over again. So to unlearn this stuff for me is just so hard because I, uh, and like I said, I'm a knowledge person. I'm a five on the Enneagram. I, I consume knowledge. Knowledge is power to me. Knowledge is comfort to me. And so I read the Bible and I have this confirmation bias of like, oh yeah, this is what I've been taught. And it says it here, here, and here. And so I skim over all the stuff in between that actually reads out to a different story if I were to actually stop and look at it and focus on it. You being an emotional person, I feel like you have an advantage reading the Bible because you're able to look past that and go, wait, but why is it saying that? Mm-hmm. And we were even reading about the Tower of Babel. Babylon. Yeah, okay. Whichever way you want to look. I think it's Atlantis. I'm saying think, it's Atlantis. I think it's a bread oven. What? How did you get that out of that <laughs> no. scripture? I, I okay, wanna... okay, okay. So. It's talking about firing bricks. I know. Well, yeah, but I just envision like making bread. Okay, but you fire clay. I know, I know. To make bricks. Okay, okay. So that wasn't my first thing that I saw. <laughs> the so, Tower of Babel like is I a said, bread oven. Yes. Or well, there you have it, everyone. Or observatory. So, like I said, I'm trying to reread the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation in order, not necessarily in a year, but just completely trying to understand what the scripture is saying without any emotional bias or without anything that a pastor has told me, whether I agreed or disagree, whatever. And trying to understand like, okay, I can put these preconceived notions aside and I can see them as, okay, well, that person obviously got that out of this verse because it says this, or, you know, I don't understand how this person got that. And one of the things that I'm learning right now is, was the Tower of Babel. So I was reading that this week 
And Mind you, we just got like you can tell how early she is in her yeah. reading journey because yeah. we literally just did this. Like this happened. Yeah, this, this week. is very current. Yeah. yeah, it was like Monday when I got the Bible or something. But so I was reading that, and in my journal, I obviously write down. So the way I do it whenever I read scripture, I have like the piece of scripture, whether like the chapter, verse, whatever, and then most of the time I kind of paraphrase the scripture in like the way I read it, and then or at least like what it's saying. And then I put like additional notes. So the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon, whatever you want to call it. I was reading that and it's a very short chapter, honestly. Yeah. And so I was reading it as if I've never watched the VeggieTales version, as if I had never heard it in Sunday school. Like, you know, you know, just trying to get rid of anything I know about this and just reading as if I wasn't a Christian or reading it as if I had just received the Bible. And it was basically... The way my translation read was these people lived in different areas from the East and the West and all this stuff. And they were trying to be unified and they had built this tower because they all spoke the same, the same language in the same nation or whatever. And so in my head, this is how it read. So they were from different areas. They built this tower, whether it was a bread oven or observatory or whatever, Atlantis, so they built this tower the Atlantis. that went to the sky that they were building it to go up to the sky. And I think mine says sky. Some translations say heaven or heavens. And you want to touch on that in a second. <laughs> and so mine said it was reaching to the sky. And so they were all of one nation under one language, under one God. And, Indivisible with yes. liberty and justice And for so all. they were wanting to be unified. And then God was like, hey... Because they're unified, nothing is impossible for them. Let me confuse them and turn it into different languages. And I was just like, what the heck? Like, I've been taught that they built this altar and they were trying to make an idol out of themselves because they wanted to become God. And God was like, oh, no, this is punishment. I'm going to confuse you. And I don't see where people get that. The chapter is so short and says so few about what actually happened. It goes more into detail of what they made it out of than what the purpose of it was. And so I was just like, where do people get this notion that they were trying to become God? Obviously, I'm not a Bible scholar. I've never studied the Bible. I don't know scripture that much. It could talk about it way later on in the Bible. There could be a good reason why people teach it the way they do. But as if I've never read this, I have no idea why we get taught the things we do. Yeah. So interesting thing to me about that, right? The Tower of Babel, and this is like, why am I even going into this? First of all, it's just to kind of show everyone, hey, like, we don't have to take everything the way we see. Like, not everything we've been taught in church is right at all. So, Tower of Babel, you think of the story. It's like, people, all of the same language and descent, they build this tower because they're trying to climb their way into heaven, right? That's their intent. We want to get into heaven so we can become God. Uh, God confuses their languages and scatters them. That's pretty much the issue. That's, that's the gist of this. In actuality... If you read, they don't just build a tower. They build an entire city. It's a whole city based around a tower. Um, very similar to me uh, to Zoroastrianism and Dima and the whole idea of that. The reason being is because in Zoroastrianism, those are, uh, from my understanding of it, whenever you hear about the wise men coming from the east, is it the east or the west? The wise men coming from whichever direction they come from. Sorry, don't have that off the top of my head. 
but they're coming from Persia, which are the Persian Magi, which are Zoroastrians, and they are astrologers. They study the stars to predict the outcomes. Hence the reason they saw the star in the sky and it didn't look right, and they followed it, because that's what they did. If you read through the little bit of the story of Babel, it's actually talking about building an observatory. It's talking about building a celestial map, basically, in the city. It's not saying we want to build a tower to reach heaven. It says into the heavens. Those are two different words. Look them up in the Greek. Two different words. Does not mean you're trying to get into heaven. It's the same principle of God created the heavens and the earth, as in celestial bodies around us, the the atmosphere and the firmament, two different things. And so they're basically building a, a map to understand. And if you actually go into studying, this is deep crap, and I'm sorry, just bear with me. This is what I read all the time, so I'm going to vent. If you go into like esoteric teaching, a lot of it is actually representative. Even the Tower of Babel is not a physical thing as much as it is representative of man trying to take on the knowledge of God or trying to understand so much that they basically just kind of like in the in the garden whenever we say God, God speaks in plural throughout the first part of Genesis, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. We can argue Trinity, but you know, there's some interesting stuff there too. But it actually says uh, man is becoming too much like us. And it actually said that they confuse the languages of the people. It doesn't say God. It speaks plural. There's just a lot of things just there that we talking miss. Talking about this, I just thought of another complete, like, different idea about the Tower of Babel is maybe, well, one, I have a question of, like, if they were trying to reach heaven, if they were trying to become like God and get to know God, one, why is that wrong? If we're made in God's image and we're supposed to be like God, we have the gifts of God. Jesus says we could walk on water. Peter walked on water. You know, like we have that. We have a faith of a mustard seed. Then why was it bad that they were trying to get into heaven if that's what it was saying? But then I have another, I literally just thought of another idea of like, they all had one language and they were under one nation, understood each other, whatever. And then maybe the reason why God confused them if that's what happened was because he's like, hey, there's different facets of me. There's different people. You can't all, like you can agree on things, but not everyone's going to be exactly the same. Here's new languages of how to perceive me. Here's new vocabulary words to use to understand yourself and creation and life. Maybe it was they had few words to describe who God was and only viewed God or themselves or creation um, and like few little like adjectives, understanding God's like, hey, there's so much more vastness, vastness to you, to me, to the world. So maybe it wasn't to confuse, but maybe to offer other assets of him and offer un different understandings in different languages. Sure, I, that's a very good point. And then also I think it's, if anything, it's a beautiful narrative and symbolic of how ultimately man's destiny throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible, kind of, I don't know how to like explain this without visually drawing it. When you think, I guess, well, this is an easy way. It's, it's a, it's a circle, right? Man's ultimate intent is to get back to the Eden state. We are to get back to walking and communing with God freely without sin. That is, that is the ultimate purpose of man. If you read from Genesis to Revelation or from Revelation to Genesis, it reads the same both ways, honestly, like it's creation, it's uh, damnation, it's redemption, and then it's restoration, basically. And so, like, that is the, the nature, or if you just want to simplify it, you have creation on one 
on the top of the circle. At the very bottom, you circle around to redemption, and now we're working our way back to, you know, to restoration with God, which is creation in essence. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the Tower of Babel, God spread the people because we had to become ununified so we could become unified. And that even gets into a little bit of the ideologies of hell, of if hell is actually on earth and we're constantly going, like we go through hell, if hell's more symbolic in in the essence of purification of the soul through life, then the journey is you would have to scatter people to go through those purifications, mm -hmm. that filtering process to make their way back to the restorative Christ. And there's a whole lot there. That is not even something we <laughs> have time to get like, onto. And this is like, what, Genesis 13 or something not that even, I'm in? Like, I'm even. not even halfway through Genesis right now. Like, yeah. That's the beauty of it, though, and that's what we're saying. The, the Bible is not all... There's so many other lenses that we look at God through. We have, you know, you think about, like, wearing a pair of glasses, and I just think of, like, these really thick framed glasses that have like 15 lenses or like a camera lens has to have like 15 different lenses to try to remove distortions to see things right. And it still distorts. You still have to have software and crap to clean up the image at the end because it distorts where our eyes see it face to face. I mean, it's in uh, what first Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It says, now you see as if you're looking in a dirty, dim mirror, then you will see face to face. There's like this beauty to me. And this is like, one of my very first, like, quote-unquote, revelations that I had when I read through that, and this is a sermon I preached one time, actually, but it still resonates true even after me working through a lot of the stuff that I used to believe. When you look at a mirror, scientifically, and this is just, let's just put it this way, it's kind of creepy when you think about it, you've never seen yourself. You can never see yourself. It is physically impossible for you to see yourself, unless you got eyeball extensions, and I don't think those exist. Not yet. So uh, you can't see yourself. You can see your hands. You can see your legs, you can see your shoulders, but you'll never see yourself face to face. And you can say, well, I've seen myself in a, in a mirror, or I've seen myself in the reflection of water, or I've seen myself in a photo or a video, but you've never truly seen yourself through the undistorted lens of the human eye, the most pure and accurate lens one can look through because it's the gold standard, right? Everyone has eyes, every, most everyone has eyes, and everyone like that sees, sees through those eyes. You know, a camera can never interpret what a human eye sees as good as the human eye can. Even if it has a faster frame rate or faster shutter or higher resolution than the human eye, it doesn't matter because the human eye would never even be able to see that. So the human eye is the gold standard we refer everything to. And every time you look in the mirror, every time you look at a photo, you're seeing a distorted version of yourself, even if in the most minor way possible. They, uh, scientists have... Um, hypothesize that if you were to see yourself, you would most likely not even recognize who you are. It's kind of like hearing your voice on a tape recorder for the first time, right? In the podcast. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Tape recorder. Where am I? The 90s? Okay. It's kind of like hearing yourself on a podcast yes. for the first time. Yeah, like you have this uh, this realization, oh, wow, that's what my voice sounds like. But you've never, act no one can hear your voice the way you hear it because your voice is resonating out of you and echoing into the, the uh, conductive bones in your ear. You hear your voice the most pure way possible. Everyone else's hearing of you is a perception. Even your hearing of what I'm saying right now is a perception ran through filters and compression and all that to make our audio sound crisper and all this kind of stuff to make it try to pull through as authentic as possible. But it's not the same as if you were in the room or better yet, not the same as if you were me. Well, the same thing can be said about God. 
and we take all these different lenses. This is what I was taught at church. This is uh, the way I read this. This is the way society has told me to view things. This is the way my culture says to view things. This is the way... Uh, VeggieTales. VeggieTales says to do it. This is the way my translation reads. All these different things are filters. And when you realize you're looking at God through a stack of filters, you know, hundreds deep, when you start unpacking, you know, it's kind of like in cognitive therapy. When you start unpacking why do you do what you do, you start breaking these agreements. You're like, holy crap, I don't just have an agreement to, um, you know, always care about the way uh, my hair looks. I actually have an agreement because my parents used to get on to me uh, because they said I wasn't presentable, which actually goes to the agreement your parents made because of agreement with their parents. Like, it goes down the line. There's all these filters and filters, stacked on filters that we have picked up to view God through. And it's like we're trying to read the text through 20 magnifying glasses to pick apart these small things. But if you remove all of those and look at the bigger picture, creation as a whole is beautiful. And it's so vast. And it's so amazing and we'll spend our whole life just trying to remove these filters and i think that's the beauty of god and when you get outside of this traditional churchisms of literal black and white everything's this way or that way you know tit for tat kind of mentality you realize like wow god is so vast god is so beautiful and just because i don't believe in a seven-day creation or i don't really know if i believe you know like genesis is accurate which you know, like, shocker, I, I don't. I don't believe Genesis is accurate. I don't believe the story of Noah is accurate. I believe that it was written by uh, someone many years later, passed down orally tradition. And if you find all that kind of stuff interesting, my other podcast itinerant, I just said, you know, another plug here. Literally, that's what it's about because this stuff is so fascinating to me. So if this stuff's fascinating to you, like, please go find it because I think you'll enjoy it. But, like, that's what's so crazy is you don't have to come to the same realization to realize the redemptive power of Christ. What I want to preface this as well is that we can get so hung up on those filters. Oh, yeah. We can get so hung up on, well, my pastor says this, but my dad actually says this, but I believe this, but my spouse thinks that. Like, we can get so confused and so trapped in those filters that we aren't actually seeing God. Mm -hmm. You can study the Bible and never actually know God. You can study, you know, the theology and the Greek and the Hebrew and all this stuff and and go to school for this, be trained for this, be a pastor your entire life and all this stuff. And you can go your entire life without actually understanding who God is for yeah. yourself. And that can be scary. And I want to preface this that you don't have to get hung up on that. You can ask questions, but you probably won't get all the answers and that's okay. Not everyone can know every little thing. God's not going to reveal everything, why he created things, every detail to every single person or even one specific person. But there's beauty in asking questions because you don't know what you actually might find the answer to. And I feel like that's the importance of discernment. That's the importance of prayer and seeking it out for yourself and not what somebody else told you the Bible said, not what you think the Bible says, but really what is God trying to reveal to you? I think a beautiful way just to sum this whole conversation up is a verse in uh, Jude one twenty two, and it simply states, have mercy on those who doubt. I like that. And the reason it, it's so powerful to me is not even because of the word doubt, but because literally to me, that doesn't just say like, 
oh, that person's doubting, bless their heart. That's not what that means. What it means is some of us have questions and our questions are authenticated through Christ. Some of us have things that we're struggling with. You know, a doubt to you, what looks like a doubt to you may actually be a revelation to me. And the blog post that I actually wrote this past week was titled, You're Not As Lost As You Think You Are. And I love how that ties into that verse, because I didn't see that verse until afterwards, but have mercy on those who doubt. God has mercy on us for when we ask questions, because we're digging deeper into our relationship with Him. If you are not asking questions, I feel like that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. If you think you have everything figured out, if you think you have all of the answers, you're not actually digging deeper. You're like, well, I know this. I don't really need God. I don't really need to press in deeper. But actually, you do need a question. And, and God loves when we question. God has mercy on us when we, que when we question because we're admitting, hey, we don't have the answers, but we want to find out who you are for ourselves. Yeah. And like the Greek translation, this is even more, I just decided to look this up real quick. The Greek uh, translation of the word doubt uh, is, I'm going to try to say this, it's a diacrino and i'm probably just butchered that but uh it means to separate thoroughly that is literally and reflexively to withdraw from and uh yeah that's to hesitate and to discern to doubt and judge or be partial so literally it's saying those who uh, stagger those who discern differently those who um, judge things differently, those who withdraw from or those who go toward or those who separate through things, who pick things apart, have mercy. Don't be judgmental because that is the beauty of Christ is learning about him. The beauty of Christ, if we're, if we're not exploring why we believe, and this is something, I, I don't know if Austin said it on the last episode, but I know he said it to us if he didn't say it on the last episode, is is, and something that's inspiring me right now is if your theology has 50 verses that line it up to believe one thing and one verse picks it apart, then you have to restructure your theology. This episode had a whole lot more direction than we thought it was going to when we started. So apparently we, God was taking us somewhere with that. So we'll just go with it. So real quick, I just want to pose this simple question and I would love to hear your response as well. What is something that you have been taught about God that doesn't line up with what you've seen? What is something you've been taught about God that doesn't line up with what you've seen? You can find us online, therecklesspursuit.com. That thing is in a complete overhaul right now. You can go there, join our email list, and get all of that exclusive content delivered right to you. And that is honestly like the best place to uh, get all the behind-the-scenes stuff. But the best place to keep the conversation going is Nomads, a safe place for Christians to ask unsafe questions. It is our private community group, and we would love to have you a part. Head down there, click that, find the link, and ask to join. If you enjoy this episode, we ask you share it on with a friend. Word of mouth is seriously, and I mean seriously, like I'm being really like real here. This podcast would not exist without word of mouth because that is like the fastest way to spread anything and keep that conversation going. And as always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email. Uh, find us in that community group. Say hi. We want to talk with you. We want to get to know you guys because this isn't about us. This is about all of us coming together to explore Christ deeper. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll, we'll talk, talk soon. soon.